Good morning. I hope that you received one of these whenever you came in. Uh, prayer uh, commitment card. We're going to be talking about that in just a few moments. And also, I hope you received uh, communion elements as well. This morning, if you're a guest with us, you get to sit in on a family conversation. That's always fun, isn't it? Especially at awkward moments. Those are great. Um, but this morning, we get to have a family conversation about something that the Lord's been stirring uh, here for uh, really over three years now. And there's something that's been on my heart. And, uh, but it also, when it comes to things that pertain to vision, you don't want to move too fast. You want to check, make sure the Lord is leading. Uh, and so uh, that's what I want to share this morning. As we get started, a couple of things as well. Uh, we're going to start studying the book of Colossians in just a couple of weeks together as a church. And if you would like the Colossians devotional, you can get one in the bookstore. They have them over there, or you can get those on Amazon. Also, um, the season of Lent is coming up, and this is a season of preparation. It's the 40 days, not counting Sundays, that starts on Ash Wednesday and goes to Easter. And throughout church history, there's always been a time, a season of preparation uh, as we approach Resurrection Sunday. And uh, we have these, um, what's this thing called? A folder. We have these folders um, out at Connection Point, uh, if you would like one. And what is in this folder is if you would like to start a uh, Lenten small group, a small group for six weeks to study certain topics on prayer, fasting, and even biblical meditation. Uh, if you would like to start a small group, then please pick up one of these. In here, there's a starter guide. There are some videos with QR codes that you can go to. You can watch from me, from Kelly, to help you get started. But uh, I would encourage you to pray about this um, as we go into this season. It's a great way just to, for a short, short term, just six weeks, to have a discussion uh, about these important practices in our life again as we approach Easter. Now, if you don't want to start a small group, then, then don't stop by and pick one up, okay? Just if you want to start, uh, start a small group, please stop by and get one. If you would like to know uh, about the study that's in it that Dr. Jimmy Jeffcoat did, uh, those will be on our resource page online and on our app. But again, we, we're here today, we call it Vision Sunday, uh, to uh, discuss as a family, where is it that the Lord is leading us? And so let's pray, and then we'll jump into that. Father, we come to you in this moment so thankful because you are so good. And Lord, I thank you that this morning uh, we believe that today is a divine appointment. And Lord, you've been stirring something in the hearts of many people. And so, Lord, I pray that as I speak, that my words will be your words. I pray I will communicate what needs to be communicated. And Lord, I pray that you would inspire our minds and encourage our hearts as only you can. Lord, would you do what I cannot in these short moments? Holy Spirit, would you move? We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, hey. You probably know that our vision statement is very simple. We, we take the words of Jesus pretty serious, and Jesus gave us the great commission, and he gave us the great commandment. And we believe that we're called to fulfill the great commission by living the great commandment. We believe that God has called us to a life where we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, where we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. That's the great commandment. And then we're called to fulfill the great commission, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that he has taught us. And then he's with us always in that process. And so we simply say around here that we want to fulfill the great commission by living the great commandment, which also raises a question, and that question is, what fuels a spirit-filled movement of people like you and me who actually 
is a part of fulfilling the Great Commission by living the Great Commandment? What fuels that kind of movement? Is it just strategy? Is it just good ideas? Is it just pulling off events or just pulling off big events? What is it that actually fuels what we do and how we do it? There may be something other than just strategy, good ideas, and events. Maybe something more foundational and fundamental to us. And I believe that there is. Now, I want to give you some language for this. So if you'll look in your message notes that you were given as you came in, you can also look on the screen. You'll see an equal-sided triangle. And on this equal-sided triangle, uh, you, you see the Great Commission and the Great Commandment all in one. The Great Commandment, we're called to love God, and we're called to love others, and then the Great Commission, make disciples. And when it comes to loving God, there are two primary ways throughout Scripture in which we do that, and that is through prayer and worship. It is in prayer that we commune with God, and then it's in worship where we celebrate corporately with other people. And then how we love others, we do that in two primary ways. We serve other people through compassion and ministry, but also we have this mission, this mission of spreading the gospel and sharing the gospel with other people. And then that flows into making disciples. And we make disciples not by our own intellect or how smart we are, but we make disciples by the power of the Word of God and the power of the Spirit of God at work in our lives. Today I want to talk about one aspect of our vision, and that is prayer. Prayer. Prayer is very, very important to who we are as followers of Christ. And in many times, we, prayer is the add-on, but it's so much more than that. To look at prayer, I want us to look at Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 17. They're there for you in your notes. The text says, and they, Jesus and his disciples, came to Jerusalem, and he, Jesus, entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them, saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, for all the nations, but, but you have made it a den of robbers. Notice the first thing here. Notice that Jesus walks into the temple. You know, Jesus loves walking into and around his house. He really does. But the question is, is that when Jesus walks in the house, the question is, does Jesus love what he sees? Does Jesus really love what he sees? You know, this is Jesus' house. It's not my house. It's not your house. We are stewards of this place. And Jesus loves walking into his houses, and he has them all over the world. In fact, the book of Revelation uh, refers to it as lampstands that burn brightly. But, but Jesus also can put out the light as well when it's not honoring him. But again, the fundamental question is, does Jesus love what he sees whenever he walks in? So many times we like to ask the question, do I like what I see, right? Do I like this about it? Do I like that about it? And many times we even, we even make choices about churches based off just physical aesthetics, really. But that's not the question. The question is, does Jesus like what he sees in you and in me when he walks in? That's the fundamental question. Jesus here says that my house 
shall be a house of prayer. Now notice, notice that Jesus did not say, my house shall be a house of worship. Notice that Jesus did not say that my house shall be a house of music. Notice that Jesus did not say, my house shall be a house of Bible study. Jesus did not say, my house shall be a house of preaching. Jesus did not say, my house shall be a house of fellowship. Jesus did not say that my house shall be a house of eating. Jesus did not say, my house shall be a house of Sunday school. He did not say, my house shall be a house of small groups. He did not say, my house shall be a house for young people. He did not say, my house shall be a house for older people. Do I need to keep going? That's not what he said. Now, we do and love all those things, don't we? But that's not the primary function of his house. He said, my house shall be a house of prayer. Your first calling in life is to know and love God. That is your first calling. It's called salvation. It's to coming to a loving and transforming relationship with God. That's your first calling in life. That's why as a part of our vision, we've been tackling biblical literacy for over a year now. This has been a part of who we are and what we do. Because we want people to know and love God. In order to do that, you have to have an encounter with the Word and with the Spirit, right? But your second calling in life, my friends, your second calling in life is to be a part of the house of prayer. Your second calling in life is to talk, commune with, have fellowship with the one who saved you. And so if you're here today, you just need to know, those are your first two callings to know and love God, and then to be a part of the people who call on the name of the Lord. You go all the way back to Genesis 4, and that's where people begin to call on the name of the Lord. And that is who we get to be. We're actually the people who get to talk with the Creator about things going on in His creation, and He listens to us. There's a whole lot of people on every continent praying a whole lot of different prayers to a whole lot of different gods. And I'm sorry, they're false gods and they're demonic. But there is one true God, and we get to have conversation with him about things that are going on here in his creation. And that's why I believe that before you're called to ministry, before you're called to service, I believe that every member is called to prayer ministry. Every member in ministry has been a big part of our legacy, and I believe in it 100%. But I also believe in every member in prayer ministry first. First. And I'll speak to that. A little later. So this morning, I want to talk to the members of Fraser. I don't want to leave anybody out. I think this applies to every Christian, but, but I want to specifically talk to you if you are a member of Fraser. In fact, if you are a member of Fraser, would you please raise your hand? Hold them up. Good. So just look around. You see this? This is who I'm talking to this morning. Thank you. You can put your hands down. Whenever you join Fraser, you were asked some version of the question, will you support Will you support this church? And then there's normally a list of a few things there. The first one that is mentioned is prayer. Before we serve, we must support in prayer. Before we give, we must support in prayer. It all goes back to prayer. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he says, first of all, Timothy, when you gather as a church, you need to pray. Pray. The first thing is to pray. And all of us who have said, I am a member of Fraser, I've made those vows, and this is my spiritual family, all of us who have said that, 
our first responsibility is to pray, always. But here's the thing. Jesus teaches us some things here in Mark chapter 11. And I want you to have an authentic prayer life. I don't want you to reduce your prayer life down to many of the things that modern people reduce prayer down to. But Jesus here gives us a warning. And we see it through his example and through his words that if we're going to have an authentic prayer life, there are four things I have to stop doing. Four things. And we see them from the text. Number one is this. Is this I will never have an authentic prayer life until I stop trying to make prayer my consumption mechanism. I have to stop trying to make prayer my consumption mechanism. Notice that when Jesus walks into the temple, the first group that he drives out are the people who are selling sacrifices. They are selling sacrifices in the temple. And what they would say to people, it sounds so sweet. What they would say is, oh, don't worry about bringing your own sacrifice. Just come and we'll provide one for you. But whenever you buy it from us, we're going to make a profit, which meant that whenever they were selling the sacrifices to people who were coming in to offer their prayers to God and give their sacrifice, in that moment, they are profiting off of prayer. They're consuming. And so many times we do the very same thing. We just don't sell sacrifices. Instead, we just look at prayer as my way of saying, God, I need you to give me this, or God, I need you to give me that, or God, I want this, or God, I want that. Again, we use prayer as our consumption tool to where we get the things that we want or we think we need in our life. And we must be careful when it comes to prayer like that. Number two is this is that I will never have an authentic prayer life until, number two, I stop looking for instant gratification. <clears throat> I stop looking for instant gratification. Notice that Jesus drove out those who sold in the temple, and then the second group that he drove out were those who were doing the buying. He didn't let them stay either. And again, think about it. It just seems convenient, doesn't it? Instead of having to bring my sacrifice from my house, I mean, I, I live a long way away and I have to walk. You know, they didn't have cars, right? Instead of having to bring my sacrifice, instead, well, I, I could just buy one when I get there. Just buy it instantly. Instead of raising the sacrifice, instead of, you know, all that trouble, no, I'll just buy one when I get there, buy it on the spot. And then what they were missing then was this perseverance in their sacrifices, and so many times that's what we miss in prayer. We just want God to do things instantly. We want to instantly see him move. We want to instantly feel something or we want to instantly feel different. And so many times we're just saying, God, if you don't give me some instant gratification in this, I'm gonna go try to make it happen on my own. Or maybe you're not with me or something. Well, we have to learn how to be persistent and persist in our prayers. Number three. Number three is that I'll never have an authentic prayer life until... I stop looking for shortcuts. I have to stop looking for shortcuts. Notice in verse 16, after Jesus has driven out those who sold and those who bought, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons, verse 16 says, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. You see, the Jews had created a shortcut. And the shortcut ran right through the Gentile court. You've probably heard this. 
So that when people would come in, instead of coming in and buying your sacrifice, then going back out to the appropriate gate that you would need to go to, instead they just overtook the Gentile court, kind of pushed them out. They didn't like them anyway. Pushed them out and then created a shortcut where they could walk right through and then go offer the sacrifice that they just conveniently bought. They wanted a shortcut in God's house. Let's put it this way. In the first century temple world, they were fighting over church space. I'm just really glad that Christians don't do that now. Right? I mean, just so thankful. Yes. But if our prayer life is going to be authentic, we have to stop looking for shortcuts. So many times we want a shortcut to encountering God. We want a shortcut to sanctification. We want a shortcut to becoming more like Christ. And there are no shortcuts. But we have to persevere in prayer, continue in prayer, even labor in prayer, because that's when we're molded and shaped. Amen? Number four, I will never have an authentic prayer life until, number four, I stop only accepting people who are like me. I have to stop only accepting people who are like me. Jesus said, my house will be a house of prayer for all the nations. Not some of the nations, not a lot of the nations, all the nations. All the ones who are like me, all the ones who are not like me, all the ones that have my language, all the ones that don't have my language. And when it comes to God's house, Jesus' vision for his house is a house of prayer with every tribe and every tongue. Every person, no matter skin color, accent, language, age, stage of life, every person gets to come in and then together, together, it constitutes a house of prayer. And so many times we think if they're not like me, then I don't want to do that with them. See, this is important, my friends, because I want you to have a flourishing prayer life. I want you to have a flourishing prayer life. And then not only that, I want you to serve the Lord with gladness. But we're going to talk about that in the fall, where we have our serving commitment time. We're going to do that in the fall. But now in February, we're talking about this. Because you have to be grounded in prayer, even before you serve, by the way. There are a lot of times there are people in the church, not just this church, all churches, there are people in the church who, who they try to serve, but they serve out of a place of prayerlessness. And whenever you serve out of a place of prayerlessness, that, that, that's how you get people who are serving in the name of Christ, but they have a mean spirit. Or they're judgmental. Or they're constantly frustrated with someone. I mean, if you want to mess up a good ministry team, just put people on there who don't pray at all because they're going to bring all their dysfunction to that team. And so many times, that's what happens. Whenever you see a Christian running around with a bad attitude and always complaining about something and always whining about something, you just need to know they're, they're, they're not in prayer. They're not living in prayer. They're not walking in the Spirit. Because when you pray and you get in the presence of Jesus, my friends, it changes you. And it doesn't mean you don't get frustrated or whatever, absolutely, but how you handle it absolutely changes. And I want your prayer life to flourish. I want it to explode. But for your prayer life to explode, there are four things that need to happen in your notes. Is this, number one, my prayer life will explode if I engage in prayer as a way of encountering and experiencing God. As a way of encountering and experiencing God. See, first we have to see that when we bow our heads and bend our knees... We are coming into the presence of Almighty God. And so before we start talking about what we need in life, 
or what others need in life. We have to approach that moment and understand that I'm coming into the presence of the living God and this is an encounter with him. This is how I experience him in my life. And again, we see this over and over throughout scripture. And whenever we, sp- whenever we approach prayer as I am encountering God, I'm experiencing God, that's when all of a sudden our perspective on things begin to change and all of a sudden God becomes more real to us. All of a sudden we realize that God is closer than I could ever think or imagine. So verses like Hebrews 13, 5, where God said, I will never fail you, I will never abandon you. All of a sudden that becomes a reality. Whenever we approach God as if we are encountering and experiencing him, that's when we realize that things like God is the most consistent person you'll ever meet. The most consistent person you'll ever meet. You you have all kind of relationships that are up and down, but God is absolutely consistent. Malachi 3.6, God says, I am the Lord, I do not change. He does not change at all. Feelings about you doesn't change. He's not, you know, subject to emotional whims. No, 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 absolutely consistent. Whenever we approach God and engage him and encounter him and experience him, we learn things like God is more caring than you could ever dare imagine. You know that God cares about you right now more than you care about you? I love this verse in Isaiah 49. Jerusalem was saying, the Lord has deserted us. He's forgotten us. And verse 15 says, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for the child she has born? But even if that were possible, I would not forget you, God says. Well, not. You see, whenever you pray, and you, your prayer, your posture in prayer is that I'm encountering and experiencing God. In that moment, the words of Scripture move from your mind into your heart. You move from this cognitive understanding to this lived experience. So it's not just words on the page anymore. This is the reality of God in you. That's why whenever we pray, we don't just go with, here's what I need, God, give me, give me. We don't just go with that. We go with this attitude and posture that I am encountering and experiencing the living God in this moment. Number two, my prayer life will explode. If I engage in prayer as an act of cooperation and continuation, an act of cooperation and continuation, whenever you pray, whenever you spend time with the Lord, You are cooperating with Jesus in all of his objectives and all of his goals for humanity. And then you, in prayer, when we pray, we are continuing his mission. So many times people say, well, I don't know what Jesus wants me to do. The question is, have you spent time with him? I don't know if you know this or not, but when you spend time with someone, they kind of talk to you, right? Have you ever noticed that? Okay, you never noticed that? Okay, that's good. <laughs> okay, introvert. <You> know? <laughs> right? When you spend time with somebody, they talk to you. When you spend time with Jesus, he talks to you. And one of the things you learn here, again, is that you are cooperating with him. All of a sudden, your heartbeat and his heartbeat, they get in rhythm together. And that you are continuing the mission that he started and that he left for us to do. That's why I love John 14, 12. Jesus says, I tell you the truth. He says, what I'm about to tell you is true. Absolutely true. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I've done and even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. See, whenever we walk with Jesus, we end up doing what Jesus did. But not only that, he says, oh, it's going to be greater. And there he's talking about quantity. 
Jesus in his incarnation was in one place at one point in human history, but now throughout the centuries, there are spirit-filled believers all over the map. And so we do greater things, meaning greater in quantity, all over the world, and it continues on. And you and I are a part of that continuation. We get to be a part of the greater things, the greater works, but we only do that together as the body that is spread all over the globe today. Number three, my prayer life will explode when I engage in prayer as an act of devotion and dedication. An act of devotion and dedication. Prayer is what proves your devotion and your dedication to him. And any talk of dedication or devotion must include prayer. If we find ourselves talking about devotion and dedication without individual and corporate prayer, then that is probably deception at best and pride at worst. If we say we're devoted to Jesus, we say we're dedicated to Jesus, and yet we do not talk with Jesus, again, we either seriously deceived or we're prideful. We just think we can do what we do on our own. But if you look in the book of Acts in the early part, like in Acts 2.42, it says all the believers devoted themselves. Here's what devotion looks like. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the sharing of meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. You say, well, Chris, prayer's mentioned last there. Why is prayer mentioned last? It's because prayer is the very thing that supports all the others. Notice the apostles' teaching. You say, well, Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel and 3,000 people became Christian. That's right. Do you remember what Peter was doing just before that? He was at a prayer meeting. It's called the upper room. That's the pattern we see over and over throughout scripture. We'll see it again here in just a second. Same thing with fellowship. What differentiates a group that Christ has brought together versus just any group of people that get together and hang out? Well, the difference is prayer. Same thing with a meal. When you pray, you take simple elements and turn them into something sacred. Prayer is the thing that supports the whole. And so when we talk about our devotion to Jesus, a lot of times we reduce that down to reading a little bit of Jesus calling. That's not it. We talk about our devotion to Jesus. We're talking about talking with Jesus. When we're talking about being dedicated to Jesus, we're talking about actually talking to Jesus. Are you with me there? Number four is this. Is my prayer life will explode when I engage in prayer with and for others. With and for others. Jesus said, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations. And he was not talking about all the nations and you keep them separated. He was not talking about all the nations and you know, just I'll get to everyone throughout time. He's like all of them now together. Again, the picture that Jesus has of heaven is every tribe and every tongue together. That's why we say around here, we want to be an all-nation congregation. We see in the book of Acts, again, in Acts 4.31, the early church, they were going through some things, and so they got together and they prayed. Notice what happened after they prayed. It said, after this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then... Then they preached the word of God with boldness. Then they did. See, powerful things happen when Christians get together and pray. And the pattern we see, again, throughout the book of Acts, is that we see this boldness, we see this proclamation, we see lives change, but all that flows out of the prayers of God's people. 
Prayer is a divine privilege that you have. If you are a Christian, it is a divine right. You get to talk with the creator about things in the creation. But not only is it a divine privilege, prayer is also a responsibility. It is your responsibility to pray, to go to the Father. Instead of worry, pray. Instead of get frustrated, pray. Instead of freak out, pray. This is what we see. This is normative New Testament Christianity that we get to pray. And listen, listen. I don't think we need another Bible study on prayer. All you Sunday school teachers and small group leaders who are sitting there, that's not what I'm saying. We don't need another Bible study on prayer, to be honest with you. What we need is Christians who have this divine privilege and responsibility to just actually pray. That's what we need. And to think that we could do, whether as individuals or collectively as a whole, that we could accomplish anything on this planet for God without prayer, again, would be nothing but pride. And so I'm going to ask you, all you who raised your hands, how many members we got in the room? If you don't mind, raise your hand in the balcony. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Good. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment. Pull out the prayer card that you received on your way in. There's an electronic version of this on our app, the website. But I want you to look at this for a moment with me. The top left part says ministries. These are not all the ministries of the church. These are the main areas, the bigger ministry, like the area that it's in. I want you to choose at least one ministry area. Everybody say at least one. At least one ministry area. And here's what's going to happen. Whenever you check that and you write it down here on the bottom part, every two weeks, you're going to get an email. I hope you write your emails legibly. But every two weeks, you're going to get an email. And that email is going to have different praises, different things that are potential opportunities that need your help praying for, things that are going on. You're going to be informed about that ministry, and you're going to know how to strategically pray for that ministry. So pick at least one. Then notice that there are local and global mission partners. Local and global mission partners. I want you to choose one mission partner. It can be local or it can be global, but choose at least one mission partner, okay? And then I want you to consider. Consider joining a prayer group. You see one of those, those are prayer teams that we have here at the church. You know that right now while we're sitting here in worship, there are people praying for this service outside this room? Praying right now for you, praying for me. Asking the Lord to bless and to move in this moment. That's why when you have a bad week and you come in and the music starts and all of a sudden there's a different spirit in the room, it's because someone right at that moment is praying for you and praying for what's going on in here. And I want to encourage you to consider, where's the Lord calling you to serve there? And then notice it says neighborhoods and cities. We're looking for leaders, 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 people who will lead a prayer group for our neighborhoods. You see some examples there and also the cities. We already have one for Montgomery. But what would it be if every neighborhood in Montgomery, in the River Region, 
had a Fraser prayer group in it. You think that'd make a difference? Yes? You see, as the church, we've gotten pretty comfortable at sitting back and critiquing neighborhoods. What if we stopped critiquing and started praying for them? It's just a thought. Cities, Auburn, Greenville, Millbrook, Pike Road, Prattville, Wetumpka, et cetera. These are all places where we have members of Fraser. What would it be if every city had a prayer group strategically praying for that city? I want to encourage you, please, if, you're, if you feel God calling you to lead one of those, we, we don't start a ministry without a minister. So if God is calling you to lead one of those, please let us know. We'll contact you. Also, there's some other uh, opportunities here on the screen. Those will go up. There they are. We got the, the government. Start a, a prayer group. Maybe God's calling you to start a prayer group for, uh, to pray for our government and everything that's going on. You know this is going to be a tough year, by the way. I mean, there's going to be all kind of emotions spewing out everywhere, right? So maybe the Lord's leading you to pray for that. Or, or what about our education system? What about our area schools? Again, it's one thing to sit back and complain. When was the last time you interceded on their behalf? Where's the church today? You with me? <laughs> what about the military? What if every branch of the military had a strategic prayer team here? Or what if we had a strategic prayer team praying for Maxwell? First responders, our amazing men and women who are our first responders. What if each one of them, each department, had a prayer team? Transformation Montgomery. One that's not listed to is Turnabout. Right now the directors are revisioning Turnabout. Where's the Lord leading you? If you want to be a part of one of those or another one, just write it on there somewhere. We'll get in touch with you, and we'll talk with you about that. But again, here's what I want you to do. The bottom part tears off. You keep the top part, okay? But we're going to give you a few moments to pray. And I want you to pray. Just say, Lord, like I, have this, like, I don't think you have to think about this very hard, by the way. I just think the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and he leads us and guides us. And, and just say, Lord, who do you want me to be praying for, strategically praying for, for the next several months. And I want you to put your name, your email, your phone number, again, write that clearly. Choose at least, at least one ministry area, at least one mission partner. It can be local or global, but at least one. Start there, and then where else is the Lord leading you? And again, if you see something that's not on here, then just write it on the back or write it on the bottom. We'll get in touch with you. It's okay. But I want you to go ahead and right where you're sitting, just go ahead and kind of get comfortable in your seat for a moment. Everybody good? Yeah? Everybody, just take a deep breath, you know. And while the band sings, we're going to take just three or four minutes, and I want you to fill this out. We're going to come back, and then we're going to take communion together. I hope you got the communion packet. And then we're going to have a time of commitment where we tear these off and bring them down to the front. So that's what we're going to do over the next few moments. But let's start and pray. If you don't mind, would you bow your head? Father, we come in this moment. And the first thing we've, we need to do, Lord, is we need to say, would you forgive us as a church? Forgive us for those moments when we make this house about something other than what you intended it for. Lord, you've called this place, like 
all the other ones all over the globe to be a house of prayer. And so, Lord, we start by saying, would you forgive us of our prayerlessness? But, Lord, we come today to commit ourselves afresh and anew, and we want to do that strategically. So, Lord, would your Holy Spirit lead us and guide us right now to check whatever box and as many boxes as you would lead us to so that we may pick up the mantle and strategically pray so that your kingdom may come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, would your kingdom come at Fraser as it is in heaven? Lord, would your kingdom come in Montgomery as it is in heaven? Lord, would your kingdom come in the river region as it is in heaven? So Lord, would you lead us as we commit ourselves to you? Let's continue to pray.